Topic 16, Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 16. Second Paper by Walter I. Lewis The Negro as a Writer Walter I. Lewis was born near Chester, South Carolina. No record having been kept, it is not possible to determine the date of his birth. Walter is the third of seven children that were born to William Charles and Molly Lewis, who were slaves to a man by the name of W. T. Gilmore. He successfully passed from the common schools to the preparatory department of Biddle University. Walter I. Lewis graduated with the second honor of his class of five from Biddle University in Charlotte, North Carolina, and at once began his life work, public school teaching, at Spartanburg, South Carolina. After teaching in that city for three years, two of which he succeeded in securing a sufficient donation from the Peabody Fund to have the school term increased from five to nine months, he accepted an appointment under the Freedmen's Board of the Presbyterian Church to take charge of their parochial school in Columbia, Tennessee. Special inducements were offered him to take a position in the newly organized graded schools of that city, and he resigned the parochial school after serving one year and accepted work with the graded school. This he found congenial and won special distinction in using the phonetic method of teaching primary pupils, that system being newly introduced there then. Having a turn for political contests, he vigorously entered local political campaigns, generally on the winning side, and won some distinction as a campaign orator. Mr. Lewis came to Florida in 1890 as corresponding secretary of the Afro-American Chautauqua Association, whose president was the lamented Dr. J. C. Price. The failure of that enterprise was a withering blow to Mr. Lewis. After remaining in Florida for nearly a year at Tallahassee, Mr. Lewis became the field correspondent and agent for the Florida Sentinel, then published in Gainesville. In 1892, Mr. Lewis got a position as city editor on the Labor Union Recorder of Savannah. For a time, his activity seemed to be equal to the task of redeeming that paper, but the entailments of indebtedness were too great it went under. He was urged to go to Jacksonville to enter the office of the Jacksonville Advocate. The inducements being flattering, he went. He served the Advocate until the Daily American was established. 
He was on the Daily American as its city editor and was on deck when that sheet went down. In the winter of 1895-96, to 96, necessity demanded a better daily news for the colored people of Jacksonville. This was secured at the office of the Metropolis, one of the most successful afternoon papers that is published in the whole South. Mr. Lewis was put on as reporter for his race on the staff of the Metropolis and has held this place continuously ever since. He is a firm believer in the survival of the fittest in all things and declares this is the key to the solution of the race problem. On the stage, on the platform, in the pulpit, and in conversation, the Negro has demonstrated a power in the use of speech that has well won him a merited distinction. This fluency and force of language, so often found in striking disparity to his other attainments, has armed critics and students of his racial peculiarities with the opinion that talking is his peculiar forte. Such an opinion does not obtain, however, in the face of noble examples of this race who have the art of forcibly and correctly writing great thoughts. The great cause of the Christian religion has furnished the field for more writers of this race than any other. This is noted not as a fault but rather to confirm the fact that since the emancipation, the training of the Negro, both at school and in his home, has been largely religious, owing to his inborn susceptibility to religious impressions, and his well-known proneness to abide by the teachings of his fathers. It is no marvel that the major portion of his written thoughts should be deeply tinged with religious ideas. Even in his occasional contributions to current literature, and when he is making an attack or a defense, right often does the religious effusion predominate. Until about twenty years ago, Rare were the instances where Negro writers had produced books and other productions on other than religious subjects. And even at the present, the number of secular writers is not large, considering the opportunities for writers of this class and the profits available. There are certain advantages, strange to relate, that the Negro has, that might be called natural. The great realm of thought, through which fiction and mental analysis holds undisputed sway, is not circumscribed by caste and other invidious discriminations, as are most other avenues, through which the bravest souls essay to traverse, but are either crushed down or are ejected. Perhaps this is why, in cases that have doubtless come under the observation of all readers of the productions of Negro writers, there is a tendency toward recklessness. But it will be equitable and fair to take under consideration only those Negro writers who have won more or less distinction as such while discussing the Negro as a writer. From Alexander Dumas 
to the latest celebrity among negro writers the close observer of racial traits is furnished with vivid evidences of methods of thought that are peculiar to this people in imagery there is that floridity that goes dazzling to the sublime with a brilliancy that is captivating if sorrow is depicted his course through its horrible depths brings a shudder over the most listless reader if happiness is to be portrayed the coziest nook in elysium is laid bare if anger pleads for expression no bolt from vulcan's anvil has ever fallen with so crushing a clang the negro writer is prolific in detail situation follows situation in rapid success demanding close attention to keep clear of the meshes of involvement the writings of the negro are full of soul if at times there is a lacking of aptness in conventional adjustments the hiatus is beautifully abridged with a freshness and wealth of expression that fully atones the negro writer has it largely in his power to demonstrate the higher possibilities and capabilities of his race as long as there is a charles w chestnut or a paul lawrence dunbar a t thomas fortune and others whose writings are read by the thousands of literary people of this country and england so long will there be an irrefutable argument for the intellectual worth of the negro race it is within the power of the negro writer to practically and profitably demonstrate the oft-repeated aphorism genius is not the plant of any particular soil it should be a matter of some congratulation to the negro that the great publishing houses of this country are not and never will be located at the great centers of race prejudice a manuscript of merit can easily find publication within recent years it has been noticed that the vein of seriousness that has run through the writings of negro authors is fading away and a jollity that is his own is taking its place most of the men and women of the race who have written enough to win public notice are known to be persons of a cheerful and jovial disposition for such a person to live in the role of the miserable is at least a misrepresentation the negro's aptness in detecting the facetious even in things that are serious his laughing soul that places a bouquet of joy and sunshine where the sombre draping of woe would so often be found is his god-given stock in trade upon which he can do business for generations to come this secret is being discovered by him this discovery will yet furnish the great world of letters with men and women of this race who will place millions under tribute to graciously acknowledge the beneficence the way to favor and preferment for the negro writer is to be made by himself the epic of his race awaits a writer 
the drama of an unwritten history covering about four centuries will welcome the facile pen of some gifted son or daughter the well-nigh inexhaustible field of folklore of his own people is ready to be told to the world whether in the crude dialect of the race or in americanized english it matters little it will make no difference the english-speaking people of both continents will read it if it is written by a master it is not at all taken for granted admitted or intimated that the negro writer of the present century is oblivious to any of these facts just as the coon melodies have captured the musical realms of this country and will remain in the saddle for some time yet just as negro singers and actors are honorably invading the progressive end of the american stage so will negro writers swarm in the great field of writers bringing with them a supply of freshness of genius that will rejuvenate and give fresh life to the literature of this country this is a domain that mocks at legislative restrictions caste exclusionism and what not those who will enter and maintain their ground will be few all of the stars in the heavens are not fast-flying meteors there never was such a thing as an army of sages mindful of the fact that his antecedence is small in the world of letters the negro writer is the more ardently inspired when he looks beyond and catches sight of golden fields into which no swarthy hand has thrust a sickle the world wants more joy the world cries for more sunshine the world begs for a laugh mankind gloats over the depiction of deeds both noble and ignoble the world delights in that which is novel the negro is a son of caloric his presence is sunshine he tells a story leaving nothing out he is himself a novelty and it will not be too far in the twentieth century before he will take pity on the world and mankind and write them what they like End of Topic 16, Second Paper